22nd pick in the 2017 NFL Draft, the Chicago Bears select Mitchell Trubisky, quarterback, well, North Carolina. Hello. It's going to be a perfect fit. I'm very happy to be here in Chicago. Yeah, I really enjoy the coaching staff and my time with them, and I just can't wait to get to work. Bears Hour Live with host Lauren Cox and the draft doc Phil Atoshin. Hello and welcome to Bears Hour Live. We are coming to you on Sunday, May 28th. Talking some Chicago Bears football, as we like to say, it's not a Sunday without Bears football, and hopefully we can be your fix for the weekend. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Draft Dr. Phil Atoshin. Phil, it's Memorial Day weekend. Are you enjoying the time off with your family? People are partying. A lot of mixed feelings from the Bears fans of what the Chicago Bears are doing. Listening in on the show out at the picnic. It's pretty impressive here. So, yeah, I'm multitasking. With four kids, you got to be able to have uh, the ability to do a lot of things at once in the pocket. You got to be able to manipulate the kids, get them fed, get the wife happy, happy wife, happy life, Lauren. That's how you got to do it. Yeah, well, and, uh, you know, happy bears, happy Phil. So hopefully we can, uh, and then happy Phil, happy <laughs> wife. So hopefully we can uh, see some of this chain start to, start to at least. Uh, solidify this year and uh, hopefully we can all get get some better football and that's going to start with the man under center Mike Glennon who has been sort of the talk of OTAs it's, it's his year he kept saying he was in a talk to the media I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday and like I don't I think I don't know if anybody counted but I, I, I want to say dozens was the word I saw to describe the number of times he said this year is my year you know he said it's been communicated to me that this year is my year and I, he even hinted at the end that he said, you know, I'm I'm going to do my best to, to take advantage of this year and, and prove that I'm, you know, the starting quarterback this year and going forward was was the the way he kind of finished it up. So there's, you know, at least this thought that he can he can be more than just year one, at least in, in his eyes of, of being more than just a one year starting quarterback. He does have that three year contract, but of course, only the first year has significant guaranteed money. I, I want to start off the show by playing an audio clip. Of Mike Glennon, he was on Chicago Bears All Access, the uh, the Zach Zaidman and Tom Thayer podcast, the official Bears show, and they asked him some some really good questions. I think about how he translated from Tampa Bay and how he's grown in those two years off. So I wanna I wanna play this clip for everyone, and then I wanna get your take on it, Phil, to see what what you think about how the Bears quarterback is is handling these tough questions. Hey, Mike, when you uh, see the terminology of this offense, do you have any familiarities with any other offenses that you've been through? Is this, or is this kind of unique in, um, in the Chicago style? Uh, it's definitely unique in its own way, but there's carryover. You know, like some of the formations we call the same as what we did in Tampa. Uh, some of the protections are similar to what I did my rookie year in Tampa. So, you know, you just find things here and there that you can relate to or you – you know, you kind of say, oh, this is, we call this in Tampa, what we call it in Tampa, and this is what we call it in Chicago, and you kind of make those connections, and, um, you know, there's definitely a learning curve, but uh, I feel like, uh, you know, myself, along with all the other guys, have done a good job with it. Mike, what's the biggest thing that you learned in Tampa that will help make you a successful quarterback here in Chicago? Um, I think just the mental side of football. I mean, I was really fortunate to have a very good offensive mind, and Dirk Cutter the past two years, and I feel like I learned a lot about it. And, um, you know, I've said it before, and it doesn't completely make sense, but I really do feel like I've, I'm a better player now than I was even two years ago, and I haven't played just because I've learned so much and about protections, about run game, about defenses, uh, about co- passing concepts. It's just, you know, the game makes a lot more sense to me, and when the game – when you understand it better, it then slows down. So you can make decisions faster and uh, really just have the answers before they even ask the question. So um, I think that's uh, what I really benefited. And I was fortunate to have good coaches while I was in Tampa. 
when you face the Bears defense in practices, even though it's been a couple practices, um, do you have an opportunity to kind of increase what you can learn because maybe facing now a different defense in practice every day than what you may have been used to down in Tampa? And, and how does that elevate the quarterback's experience to, to face a different defense like that? No, it's, it is great because um, we – we're on a, you know, a little bit different defense than most teams in the NFL, and that is a 3-4 defense. So, um, you know, in Tampa, when Lovey Smith was there, we were almost always Tampa 2. So I feel like when you face it every day, you become, I, I don't know if I want to say master of it, but you get extremely comfortable against it. And, you know, now I get to go against a 3-4 team every day for the first time in my career. So um, it's kind of nice to play against these different styles of defenses because then you learn, you know, the strengths and weaknesses of them, and it, it can only help when you're, you know, playing other opponents in, in a real So that was Mike Glennon on Chicago Bears All Access with Zach Saban and Tom Thayer. I, I was really, I really liked the questions that they asked him. Those were good. You know, they're, they're not the, uh, they're not trying to get him to slip up and say something he's going to regret, but they're good sort of football questions about, you know, what he's done for the last two years, because his last real games as a starter was 2014, and Three years later, the Bears signed him to a three-year deal to be their starting quarterback. Phil, what did you think of uh, not only what Glennon said there, but what you've heard of what Glennon said at OTAs? Well, we keep at BHL, we keep it real. We, we've been asking the question, Lauren, who is Mike Glennon? I think we are going to find out on the football field who Mike Glennon is. He's running the game of politics, answering questions. I, I have to piggyback off you. I think those questions were were football questions, uh, not kind of rhetorical questions trying to demean the young man for where he is and what the Bears did to him in regards to drafting Mitchell Trubisky. So I felt like he handled those questions well. I think he was honest and and straightforward, especially about going up against the Tampa two every day, you kind of get used to a defense and understand its intricacies. So you hope that Mike Glennon is carrying because every defensive front, if they're four, three or three, four, the coverage scheme, you're still getting cover two in a three, four scheme, the same kind of philosophies you are getting on the football field. No one has created something different yet on defense so quarterbacks have to just read their keys and understand and diagnose where open receivers are. And, you know, that's going to be the difference when it comes to a competition between Mitchell Trubisky and a Mike Lennon and who else is in the rotation there for the Bears. You know, one thing we always overlook is, you know, the history of the Chicago Bears quarterback is one filled with not only a lot of names, but a lot of injury, Lawrence. So Mitchell Drabisky or Mark Sanchez is one play away from getting into the football game. That's why I feel like this season is so intricate to the rest of this franchise uh, future moving forward because how are they going to handle if Mike Glennon gets hurt? How are they, who's going in? Is it going to be a Mark Sanchez and then there's going to be some sort of wasted. I know I'm throwing more questions into the, the pot. But, you know, if you've lived through this franchise and its ups and downs, like most of you listening in or are listening to the podcast are, you know that there's been a lack of stability at the quarterback. And how Mike Glennon's handling his first offseason is one with which is setting him up perfectly for the season, Lauren. They surprised him and surprised most people, not you and I, not our fan base following this show and podcast. We told you all along, it's got to be a quarterback at three. Well, they surprised us and moved up and made a quarterback at two. But nevertheless, a quarterback none the, none the same. So now he's in the rotation. Mike Glennon is almost saying this cheer to remind himself that it's his job to lose, Lauren. And, and that's what you worry about going forward because is it just words? Actions are going to speak louder. A lot of, you know, 
politics coming out of Hallis Hall in regards to uh, Mike Glennon's feelings. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's about winning and losing and developing young talent because this roster has a lot of things that you could like and they could sneak up on a few people. And really, ultimately, in a season, in a football league full of injury and ups and downs and the hot team on the hot show, Lauren, can turn it around. And hopefully Mike Lennon is going to be a guy that steps in and gives the Bears the kind of problem that coaches love to have. And that's having controversy of talent at the quarterback position. Yeah, you know, you bring up a, a good point that, that I don't think anyone's talking about with, you know, if Glennon gets hurt, what happens? Because, you know, I saw some stat, I don't remember who put it out there, that it was like in the last 17 years or so, like no quarterback drafted in the top five has ever sat his entire rookie year on the bench. Like they've all ended up starting games. And I think pretty much everyone is expecting Mitch Trubisky to end up starting some games this year. But I was just thinking, you know, with the way Connor Shaw went down last preseason, if the worst were to happen to Mike Glennon, say preseason week three, he gets hit wrong and comes down mm-hmm. on his knee wrong and tears an ACL. Is is Mark Sanchez going to be your week one starting quarterback or are they going to throw Mitch Trubisky out there? I mean, <laughs> yikes. At that point, you can... is the season in the toilet? <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I don't know. See, that's the thing, Lord. It's like injury plays a role, obviously, those of you watching the Chicago Bears throughout your lifetime or throughout the last year, wherever you started, not hating, just giving you a history lesson, that there's not been stability at the quarterback position. I'm trying to think of a season where your starting quarterback just played all 16 and that was you moving forward, where your offensive line played all 16. Where, where there was a season, and usually when that happens, you're in the playoff hunt because of health. So I'm never going to rule out anything in regards to, okay, you know, I remember this story about a guy named Trent Green being the quarterback of the now former St. Louis Rams going down. He was their big signing from the Redskins, taking over the Rams. They were the, the greatest show on turf. Then all of a sudden he goes down in the third preseason game, like you said, Lauren, and this guy from the Arena League had some time in the World League, comes in and steps in, and all of a sudden they go on an NFL championship run, and that is future Hall of Fame quarterback Kurt Warner, undrafted, by mind you. That kind of story is 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 there. For the taking. So nothing could be ruled out in the NFL, but it's not the plan. I'm sure it's not their plan right now, but I can't deny the talent that you see Mitchell Trubisky have. Would they put him out there? You know, that's really the big question mark. Would Dow Loggins and company do that? I think they would toe the line and put Mark Sanchez out there maybe for the first three weeks to get the rookie up to snuff with the with the NFL game but you know stranger things have happened i'm just putting it out there you got to be ready for anything to happen and at the most important position in all of sports you have question marks against finances and what i mean by that is everybody who is a talking head on the NFL network or ESPN was in shock that the Bears took a quarterback, except Bears Hour Live and Bears Bar Room, who kept preaching that that was needed. Um, and then you you fast forward to today, and there's finances in regards to uh, Mike Glennon giving them that story that he's their quarterback, when really ultimately is a one-year prove-it deal. And Ryan Pace is just saying, okay, Glennon, you are a starter quarterback, starting quarterback. Go out and prove it. And that's what he's got to do. And, and ultimately, how better of a way to get the answers about Mike Glennon than to have a young stud who goes in there, learns the playbook, really is an accurate athletic passer, 
and, and can rally this football team. You know, there's fire under Mike Glennon's ass. And, and I think that's a good thing for the Bears. And I also think with the hype, hypothetical situation of injury, which has been a constant in Chicago, 19 IR players, quarterbacks, Jay Cutler, Brian Hoyer went down. Um, the tendency to believe that this could happen again is very high. And you can't rule anything out. I would not be afraid to throw the rookie out there. And he is the future, folks. No matter what they're trying to say about Glennon, there's a reason why he was drafted second overall in this NFL draft. And mind you, Lauren and myself put out quotes. These are scouts. These are people in the NFL business that are going out of their way to really identify this football player as a guy that had he played more games and tell me if this sounds like a Cox sports one special and a, and a draft Dr. Phil comment that said several times now, had he played more games, there'd be no doubt that this football player, Mitchell Trubisky would be the number one overall pick. And some had him higher ranked. I mean, I wish they put names to it, but in this business, I think they can't. So, but I don't think you go out of your way to say these comments if you don't have a strong, firm belief on it that this kid was a higher rated quarterback than Marcus Mariota. I'll tell you right now, you know how I feel about Jameis Winston. I am not a fan at all. I have no qualms going to war with anybody about I, I believe. Uh, Mitchell Trubisky has a lot more upside than a Jameis Winston does. So I could see where NFL personnel people are are praising Mitchell Trubisky because when you watch the accuracy, you watch the athleticism, again, my only knock on him was 13 games. But had he started more, and that's what Ryan Pace is banking on, that this kid's potential, and that's ultimately what we're drafting, is very high. So how, how does he come into camp, Lauren? How does he come into camp? Does he know the playbook? Is he ready to push Mike Glennon? That is going to be exciting to see. And, and I don't have any doubts whatsoever that you throw the rookie in and you get Mike, Mark Sanchez just ready to be the backup. Yeah, you know, I, I was going to our research department while you were talking, a.k.a. me, and I was looking up and I, I discovered that in my lifetime, the Chicago Bears have had two seasons in which the starting quarterback had been the same for all 16 games. Two seasons in the last 21 years. Wow. It was, that's... It was, it was Jay Cutler's year in 2009, the first year the Bears, the first year he was on the Bears. And then, of course, 2006, Rex Grossman started all 16 games before the Super Bowl. But, Phil, do you want to guess when the last time before Rex Grossman was that the Bears had the same quarterback start all 16 games in one season? <laughs> I'm going to guess. You got to give me the quarterback and the year. Oh, God, I won't get that. 92, Jimmy Harbaugh. Neither. I, 91. There, there, there's been no. There's been one more recent. I didn't. I, I stopped when I got to the most recent one since 2006. And it was oh, more Eric Kramer. Eric Kramer. 95. Correct. Correct. Eric Kramer in 1995 played all 16 games. Then there was nothing until 2006, and then again nothing till 2009, and nothing since. Wow. So I don't mean, expect Mike Glennon to play 16 <laughs> games. Basically, <laughs> that's worse. I mean, you heard it here first. So when Brad Biggs comes out with his article this week, or or the Bear Report starts talking about the history of the Chicago Bears at quarterback, is one laced, laced with injury. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here, folks. Lauren and Phil bringing you. I mean. Is that inevitability? I mean, if this is a horse race, I think the money's on the possibility of injury. You can't keep them healthy here in Chicago. And then they, then people wonder why I scream about the left tackle and the right tackle positions being so important for the Bears, Lauren. Because you win up front, it's cliche because it's true. And you got to have those protections 
in order to keep a quarterback upright. Think about the great ones. They get time to make decisions. If they can't get time, uh, the, your, your boy up there in your neighborhood, Aaron Rodgers, is manipulating out of the pocket, making his own time, and throwing the ball deep down the field. Um, that's a Mitchell Trubisky trait there. Well, and for those playing along at home, you you were correct that Jim Harbaugh played all sixteen games in '92, and he also played all sixteen games in '91. So, I don't I don't want to look at me discredit look at you me. there. But '95 was the more recent of the two. Well, Jim Harbaugh, honestly, uh, Lauren, I was, we're moving, we're, we're selling our house, we're trying to find a house. It's crazy. I can almost go into the Scotty Farrell voice right now with that. But I'm in my garage, and I pull this box down, and the box is filled with football cards from my childhood. And there he is, Jimmy Harbaugh, falling in on the cover. I took a picture, tweeted it out there for you guys. If you, you want to check it out, at O on Twitter, you could check it out. The guy really got a bad deal. Does it sound familiar in Chicago? That's where my nerves are, because... How are you going to treat not only Mitchell Trubisky, but Mike Glennon? This is going to be the telltale for the future of this franchise because you got people booing the poor guy at a Cubs game already. Um, Mitchell Trubisky, fresh off the draft circuit, drafted second overall. He's getting boos at a Bulls game. I mean, when has Chicago become Philadelphia? Really? I remember Donovan McNabb getting drafted and booed at the draft. So Philadelphia hasn't won a Super Bowl in their in their existence. So you're going to win when you support your team and you you support the decisions. I'm not asking you to blindly support, but I'm asking you to recognize that there is a plan going on and they're really executing it to their craft. I mean, we talked about this plan. Uh, Adam Schefter brought it up that they were very, very quiet about their love for Mitchell Trubisky. And, and, and if you have that kind of um, real understanding and togetherness in your scouting department and you make that kind of move, I mean, you have to support it as a fan base, one with which that hasn't drafted a quarterback in the top five since Jim McMahon. And this is the most important position in all of sports and the most difficult in all of sports as well. So they're taking a shot for the fences. I love the fact that they did that. Again, you know how Lauren and I felt about Deshaun Watson. But really, they have their druthers and their conviction on Mitchell Trubisky. And I'm excited to see how this camp plays out because there's nothing better than competition. There really isn't. And it seems like you got it everywhere. Yeah, and I think as far as being a Bears fan goes, I think a Bears fan sees the Bears draft Trubisky and says, "Okay, let's see how this goes." You're not, you're not, you're not saying greatest pick of all time. You're not saying worst pick of all time. You're saying, "Okay, they picked a quarterback that they really, really like. Let's see what he can do." And same thing with Mike Glennon. They signed this quarterback that they, you know, they wouldn't sign Mike Glennon if they didn't think he could be a decent starting quarterback this year. You don't say. I mean, you know, you and I were both not big fans of Mike Glennon in free agency. I think we may have said that signing him might be the worst case scenario in terms of free agent quarterbacks. But he gets signed, and again, we're not, we weren't happy with it. But we're not sitting here saying, "Oh, fire Ryan Pace," and Mike Glennon is the worst quarterback ever. It's let's let's see what he can do. Obviously, the Bears scouting department and the pro scouting department has a lot more information than we do and Ryan Pace obviously can talk to people he had connections in New Orleans you know they these coaching staff they don't just sign Mike Glennon on a whim because they wanted a free agent quarterback they sign the guy that they have conviction with and the same thing with the draft so it's all about it's sort of a, a wait and see is is the fair thing to go it's not jumping on board blindly it's not it's not denying it 100% and and booing it from the start it's 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 let, let's see how this plays out and then you know when when Mike Glennon starts playing poorly that's when you can start being upset about the move. And when Mike Glennon starts playing well, that's when you can start being, you know, really getting behind the move. But I think it's, you get a lot of people that want to react right away super strongly one way or another and, and sort of go off the extreme. But I think the best part about being a Bears fan would just be kind of taking it as it goes and, and enjoying the ride. 
you gotta enjoy the ride because listen if you know or follow me i call it for what it is i'm not gonna kowtow to anybody i i love jose cotto and aldo gania shane marshall colleagues at bears barroom i love lauren cox i love brian perez emory hunt these are people that I really respect their opinion on football, but I don't kowtow to any of them and never will. If I disagree, I'm going to voice that. I'm going to make sure it's known where I stand, including any of my followers. I've, I've never asked for one damn follower. And you could think anything you want, but know one thing, that I am going to stand up for what I believe is true, and I know my partner on this show does the exact same thing and backs it up beyond me with factual stats. Like, I just, I didn't Google that about Jimmy Harbaugh. I just literally just remember that there was consistency in that, and thus there was playoff football. And there isn't, there hasn't been consistency at the quarterback position of health, and thus there's been a drought of playoff football. So when you listen to this show or the podcast, you know, we appreciate you. We do this for you. I'm at a picnic coming in, stepping into my 2012 Chrysler Town and Country, sitting here watching people play cornhole and frisbee as we're talking Bears football for you guys. So I respect the fan, but we're also here to keep the truth in a fan base that seems to be far and away from listening to the truth and finding people that sell them on bullshit. That's not our play here, and we're going to continue to do that or else me and Lauren aren't going to be doing this anymore, right, Lauren? We break down the film. We bring it to you on YouTube. You could go there and check out all our film rooms, all our trailers, and the, and the things that are to come in the film room and the players, you know, Jay Howard, we're going to put under the microscope. Coward, the undrafted free agent from Old Dominion, who really, Lauren, you got to feel high on. Uh, I, I want to try to go back and get a little Ro Roy Robertson Harris tape because we've been talking about him since, you know, January, Lauren, about him being a five technique surprise. Now, all of a sudden, it's coming out again through the big media co that he might surprise. <laughs> all this stuff sounds familiar. So keep it locked in here. Follow us on Twitter. Follow Bears Hour Live on Twitter. And we'll continue to bring you unfiltered truth to the fan. The fans have had some, some interesting reaction to Victor Cruz signing in with the Chicago Bears. I, I remember like some people were, were actually upset about the Bears giving him a two a one year two million dollar deal and you know he he's just a bum from New York, another cast off at this wide receiver position. And I know you and I were disappointed when the Bears lost Alshon Jeffrey and they haven't necessarily replaced him with a true number one receiver, but the additions of what was it, Kendall Wright, Marcus Wheaton, even Ruben Randall and now Victor Cruz I didn't realize the Bears have now signed three former New York Giants with Cruz Randall and Prince of Mucamara. So there's, you know, obviously some connection there. And then they go out and sign the veteran Cruz in late May. I don't remember exactly what day it was here. But it's it's one of those signings that could be a dime in the rough, but kind of just a, a low-risk, high-reward option here for a guy that I think he put up 1,500 yards. If not 1,500, it was pretty close. He had multiple 1,000-yard years in New York. He kind of took the NFL by storm out of the slot obviously made the salsa dance sort of well-known, and then had some pretty bad injury years. I think he missed an entire season. I think 2015 he missed most of, and then only played a few games in 2014 before that. Came back in 2016, had an okay year, but didn't quite look like the same receiver he was before his his years of injuries, and maybe he wasn't quite 100% healthy, but he did play 15 games, and the Bears brought him in for a workout. Sounds like from reports they wanted to sign him on the spot. He He wanted to at least gauge interest from other teams, and then pretty soon later decided to, to change his mind and, and st stay with the team. So, Phil, I guess, what, what's your initial reaction to the Victor Cruz signing? You know what, Lauren? I was happy about it because it's, it's late May. You're looking at this roster. They've thrown a lot of bodies at defensive back, and they've thrown a lot of bodies at wide receiver. you got Kevin White coming off injury. 
Got Daniel Braverman coming off an injury where he really didn't get a shot last season. So there's unknowns on the roster. Cam Meredith was essentially his rookie showcase last year. How is he going to come into camp? Is he going to build off his what he was able to do last year? Or is he going to have that sophomore slump that we've seen so many times from a position that's very difficult to transition into the NFL? You like the signs there. But Marcus Wheaton, injured, coming to the Chicago Bears. Right, injured, not very productive his last year. Is he in shape uh, coming into the Bears? Question mark galore. Here's a guy in Victor Cruz that, out of all of these receivers, aside from maybe Daniel Braverman, in regards to what I see on tape, college and pro, has an art for the craft of running routes. There is an art form and a feel that you you could see on tape, and I could show you on tape at Bears Hour Live to, to really, Lauren, write this note down, to showcase the art form of running a route and getting open. That means you could run a 4-5. You could run a 4-6 for all I care. But if you understand leverage and acting and the top stem of your route and where to use those skills to get yourself to where you know you need to go and you're able to catch the football with hands, that's going to be the litmus test for how I decide who my starting receivers are. And we saw this happen with Bellamy and, and Thompson getting open, running a route, really raw running a route, mind you, not knowing the art form, getting open, mind you, and dropping the football. You know, the difference between winning and losing is catching and dropping the football. My coach, my freshman football coach said that to me. I carried that on to my coaching career. I carried on to scouting. I look at that. What could have happened had this player caught the football? Becomes the whole difference in a game. And when I look at Victor Cruz, I see a guy with an arrogance, with an art form, with a passion to prove people wrong. And I feel like Really, the key point is what you mentioned, Lauren. The Chicago Bears were all in on getting this guy in without letting him leave Soldier Field, I mean, Hallis Hall, with a contract. That means your scouting department is unanimous in the fact that they want to get this football player on this team. Now, Ryan Pace has shown you throughout this offseason that this is his team. There is no doubt about it now. They could pretty a pig up with some lipstick But John Fox clearly is not deciding what's coming into the locker room. He might decide who's going to end up playing. But right now, putting that 90-man roster together is all about Ryan Pace. And if they had conviction, just like they did with Mitchell Trubisky, they have an understanding of what this kid is healthy, he's ready to play and ball out, and how good is that going to be if you have someone who understands the, the art form of receiver and is going to bring a level of competition and pride, pride to a huddle? That, to me, is a win-win situation. Yes, Phil, he, he wasn't productive last year. Well, there's a lot of reasons why. There's a lot of me-me guys in, in New York, Lord. There was a lot of me-me guys. They also drafted... Uh, one of my favorite players in the draft, Sterling Shepard, who ended up playing slot and pushing Cruz to a, a outside receiver. So there are variables, as we've talked about time and time again, on coaching and scheme of why players aren't productive when they go somewhere else or why they are when they go somewhere else or stay in the scheme. So I'm high on Victor Cruz signing. I said, let's see what he is before you start writing the end of his story because I believe this young man met him before. I believe he loves the game of football, and I believe that's what you need on the offensive side of the football. Guys that have passion for the game, that are going to work to get open, and are work to start and better the Chicago Bears team, Lauren. Yeah, you know, when Victor Cruz first signed, I was a little bit, I guess I, I had my expectations very low for him. I wasn't, I, I liked the signing by all means. I wasn't, I was not, uh, against it at all but I when he signed I thought okay you know this is kind of a my, my expectations were you know maybe he sticks on the roster and makes some noise but the, the longer I, I've looked at Cruz and rewatched some of the stuff and 
ran some of the numbers and I, the, the more excited I get about the potential for this guy, I really think he can be the Jay Howard of the offense here, the the, the May signing that's going to turn into something something pretty special. I look I look back at like his last year, this past season he had 586 yards, which you know played 15 games, but he only had 39 catches, which I think it gave him like mm-hmm. something around 15 yards per reception, which is actually higher than it was in his two of his thousand yard seasons were were lower than that. His fifteen yard fifteen hundred yard season was a little bit better than that. But this past season, he it was one of his second highest seasons in terms of yards per reception. And then it, it kind of reminded me that you know Eli Manning played awful this past year. He was not a very good starting quarterback, and that that's a good. I mean, that's some of the reason for Victor Cruz's lack of production. I mean, obviously, I don't think he looked like the same thousand yard receiver he was the year before but at the same time the the play at the quarterback position I think held him back some I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say it was the reason why his production was so low but I think it was definitely a factor I mean he got I think 72 targets and only had 39 catches and I don't think he had a lot of drops I don't have the PFF numbers in front of me but I can in a second it wasn't as though his hands were necessarily an issue on all of those receptions or on all those targets it looks like he he had uh Five drops on 71 targets by PFF's numbers, which is is not a small amount. I mean, that's not I mean that's not quite Josh Bellamy level, but it's not good either. But at the same time, that still leaves you with quick math in my head. At least 25 throws that were just inaccurate his way, and he had you know he had plenty of targets, <clears throat> but if those targets are inaccurate, he's just not able to catch them and produce them into yards. And the catches that he did make, obviously, he had a very high yards per reception for at least compared to the rest of his career. So I think there's a lot of reason to at least be excited that maybe he's not going to come in and be a 1,000-yard receiver. But if he could have the kind of year that, say, Cam Meredith had last year, just in terms of production, you pair that with Cam Meredith coming back and building off of what he did last year, and then maybe a guy like Kendall Wright or Marcus Wheaton can get back to some of their production. You've got three receivers that are all capable of, you know, 700, 800-plus yards this year. And maybe maybe you get both of Wright or Wheaton. You know, it depends on how these guys are able to stay healthy. And that'll be big for Victor Cruz, too. But it's not as though he was this awful castaway receiver last year for the Giants. And, you know, the, the, he was just useless and they cut him because he wasn't any good. He definitely was able to make some things happen with the football in his hands. And his quarterback just didn't necessarily do him a lot of favors. Not that Eli Manning was the worst starting quarterback in the league, but... That plays a factor in, obviously, Mike Glennon's performance, and if it's Trubisky, one of those two, the Bears quarterback, will influence how well the wide receivers do, but there's at least reason to be excited that Victor Cruz can kind of continue to improve off of what he was able to do last season. Yeah, you got to believe, and you also have to believe that he has something to prove. You know, you also have to factor in Ben McAdoo coming in there with that West Coast philosophy. It was a change and a switch up from what Coach Coughlin was using uh, um, Victor in and how they used him previously with Kevin Gilbride being the offensive coordinator and so have you. This guy was a big play playmaker. I mean, he could get 0 to 60 in a a quick hop step and really work the safeties and have forced coverages. If he comes back motivated and healthy because he ultimately has had two years off if you – you consider last year a year off, and I know he was critical of how they used him, Lawrence. So if you get this guy fired up coming in here, this could be a guy, you know, it's happened before. Look at uh, Slauson coming in here, late signing after he had been cut, comes in here, then he gets a reworked deal because he became an intricate part of the offense. You look at Victor Cruz, he could be that kind of signing. I believe, you know, the determination factor in some players, you know, wanting to to show up and show out, I think is going to be exciting to see Victor Cruz in the Navy and Orange come the fall. Because I think this kid, like I said, and will continue to say, the art form of running a route, he's polished. He is a veteran. He has been through the battles. And I think he'll bring that level of confidence to a, a team ultimately needing that. Yeah, Victor Cruz was on ESPN's Waddle and Sylvie shortly after signing with the Bears. And I think he, he did a good job of reflecting a lot of what you were saying as far as being motivated to prove something to the New York Giants and the rest of the NFL. And also just being excited about what the Chicago Bears are going to be able to do 
with him on their roster. And even he got a little bit in specifically to the role he's going to take more of as a leader and sort of the most experienced guy on that roster. So I want to play for our listeners here this clip from uh, all credit goes to ESPN's Waddle and Sylvie with Victor Cruz on the air. I'm excited, man. I'm excited to, you know, kind of have a fresh start, a new home and a new place. I'm um, excited to work with Mike Glennon and Coach Fox and everybody there. Um, and just excited to be in that locker room around, a, you know, a good group of guys, man. So get, take us through this process for you because I remember when you visited Chicago maybe seven to ten days ago, then it sort of disappeared mm-hmm. and you went to Jacksonville and you, I think you took a couple more visits. What were you digesting? What did you need to hear? And how did you make your decision? Um, well, I just wanted to hear that. I can have an opportunity to play. And that was the biggest thing I wanted was to come in and, and be a direct impact to a football team. And Chicago just showed me a lot of love, man, between the coaching staff, between the GM, uh, between the players. I mean, everyone was adamant about how they felt like I could contribute to that football team and be a factor immediately coming right in. And, and uh, not just as a player, but as someone that's been around football for a long time and can come in and provide an insight to different teams, different nuances of the game, and different ways to look at different plays and, and things like that and be an asset to a football team. And I think Chicago presented that best opportunity for me. Yeah, that's where I was going next, Victor. I mean, as an accomplished veteran, I, my assumption would be that John Fox in the front office also said, look, you're going to have an impact on the field, but also inside that wide receiver meeting room, we've got a, a lot of young guys that could – could tap into your experience. Leadership is something I'm sure that it, it, it's a trait of yours and something you're willing to share. Absolutely. I mean, that was another thing that I looked at that receiver room and I saw a lot of young guys and a lot of talent in there as well. And, and a, a lot of guys that can benefit from just having someone like me in the room to pick my brain and me tell them, you know, how I think they can get better and uh, how I think that we can all be better and, uh, and advance this football team and make it to the playoffs and do some really, do some really special things this year. So, I'm excited for the challenge. I'm excited to get to know these young receivers as well as the rest of my teammates. Um, and I'm excited to work with all these quarterbacks, man, That, and specifically Mike Glennon, who I feel like has a lot of talent. Well, tell us what you think you have left in the tank. How good can you be in 2017? I think I can be very good. I think, um, you know, I think if going back as a slot receiver, which is where I'm most comfortable, I think last year I proved that I could play some outside as well. So I'm, that makes me uh, – you know, you can't pigeonhole me into one thing. You can't just put a beat, you know, get a beat on me week in and week out. Um, but I think, you know, I think I have an opportunity to flourish here and just do a lot of good things. But I have a lot left in the tank, um, and I'm excited to prove that uh, in Chicago this year. Uh, we talked about uh, the leadership you can provide inside the wide receiving uh, meeting room, but also a quarterback, and Mike Lennon, who does have some run in the league. But he's still a young guy and somewhat inexperienced. How much impact can you have on him and Mitchell Trubisky as well? Uh, I think just providing, uh, you know, that veteran mind that's been around the league, that's been around in, in a few different offenses now, and to just understand, you know, his mind. I want to just pick his brain. I mean, I want to know what he likes, what he doesn't like, what type of routes he likes to throw, what he doesn't like to throw, and how we can benefit him there, how can, how we can advance his uh, his skill set in that regard. And, and it's all mental now at this point. I just want to make sure that mentally – He's ready to go. Mentally, he's able to be in a comfortable situation and feel comfortable about all the weapons that are around him and using them all to his disposal. So that was Victor Cruz on ESPN's Waddle and Sylvie this past week after signing with the Chicago Bears. Obviously, a lot of great answers there, and I, I think the part that stood out the most to me was how adamant he was about Mike Glennon. He said specifically Mike Glennon, Mike Glennon, Mike Glennon. I want to pick Mike Glennon's brain. And part of me, maybe the the cynic or the the critical thinker in me wonders if the Bears told him after signing him, you know, hey, when you get asked questions about these quarterbacks, give Mike Glennon a little bit of a boost. But, Phil, what what did you think about (laughs) about what he said? I really liked it. I mean, I had not heard that just for for the truth here until you just played it. So I think he was echoing exactly what I was talking about. This is a young man that's going to come in here fired up, recognize his best position, where he's going to threaten you is in a short area where his speed and quickness are going to give him an advantage on a defender trying to cover him. This is an established guy who's going to get to where he's supposed to go. 
in a given play or, or scheme. He's going to do it, and he's going to catch the football. I mean, I live in giant country. Uh, two of my best friends are giant uh, fanatics and really recognize that they were upset with the loss but understood that Victor had to move on because of the amount of talent they have going in the offensive side of the football. But he wasn't used correctly last year, according to all of them. And I do occasionally talk to coach uh, Kevin Gilbride, who coached the young man and had nothing but great things to say about this football player. So the kind of battle lines in that boxed area of the slot position, Lauren, I can speak on because being that I played the position, I believe watching this young man, I used to be in awe of how he was able to use his ability to run routes to get open, but the innate God-given ability to run after the foot, after the catch like a running back and really make big plays. If he's back to his health and he's working his tail off and he feels that kind of responsibility that he's going to go into the locker room and become a leader and that he's going to really work hard and mentioning Mike Glennon, you know, your relationship with a quarterback, you better be best friends with a quarterback. If you are a receiver, you better kiss that kid's ass and really get on a good page. Cause you want to show everybody that you are the man, that you are going to do this, that you are going to be able to be counted on when, when it's most important. And I think those are the kind of answers he's given you and he's really doing a, a, a wonderful job in expressing how it all went down and why he chose here. So I'm excited about this football player even more after listening to him because I feel like he's got a chip on his shoulder and something to prove. Like I said, I don't ever measure someone I've seen do it, and I have awe of them doing it. I watched Walter Payton at age 30 run for over a thousand yards with no line, with no help. This football player has that kind of uh, uh, competitiveness that I believe is going to really be a little hidden gem in May, Lauren, like you said, that's really going to be come September and October, be a guy that everybody's hoping can be in the lineup because of what he brings to the table. Yeah, I I want to. I feel like this signing is definitely a message to Kendall Wright and Marcus Wheaton. More so, Kendall Wright, I think, because Wheaton's on a two-year, eleven million dollar deal with about half of that guaranteed. So he's on, I think, on a little bit more steady ground. But especially Kendall Wright, who I think there was talk of him not coming to OTAs in the best shape or maybe not being being going a hundred percent at practices so far. So I think this is definitely a message to him that hey. There are other receivers on this team, and we're bringing in another one to show you that you are very, very expendable when you are playing for your job. And I think Cruz is a guy that I'm getting closer and closer to penciling in as a week one starter if he can stay healthy. I think we'll see him and, and Cameron Meredith be sort of the top two guys, although Cruz, I, I feel like they're going to they're gonna do with him. Maybe he's, he's outside on you know with normal packages, and then when they bring in that third wide receiver, he goes into the slot where he belongs and Kevin White or someone else comes and plays on the outside, White or maybe Wheaton. And Cruz is still your number two receiver, but he still plays the slot at every opportunity. And, you know, we kind of saw his role change in New York, like he alluded to. And like you mentioned, this past year, he was almost exclusively on the outside. He played a little bit of slot here and there, but New York really tried to make him an outside receiver with uh, Ben McAdoo calling the shots. And maybe that wasn't something he was as comfortable with or maybe just not as effective at, and he kind of talked about how, you know, he is able to do a little bit more now, and I think that's a nice versatility, but I think ultimately he gets better mismatches against lesser cornerbacks in the slot, and he can do a little mm-hmm. bit more with, with so much space on either side of him to work, and I think that's where we're going to see the Bears try and pencil him in, because another, another thing I noticed, I don't want to get too off topic, but I was looking back at Zach Miller's year last year, and like something like 50% of his snaps were in the slot last year, and I wonder if... Loggins has kind of been, you know, yearning for a a better true slot receiver. And obviously, you and I both think Daniel Braverman deserves more of a chance there. I don't think he got much opportunity. But Zach Miller was primarily, or almost almost 50% of his time was spent as a slot receiver last year. So I think, you know, I wonder if 
they're going to continue to do more of that or if they want to see that you know they really wanted a wide receiver to play there and they think a guy like Cruz can sort of take over and add that dynamic more to their offense than they saw last year I mean you gotta hope I mean if you listen to this show at all throughout the season we go on live a half hour after every game and we break it down for you, and then we, we come back, maybe a pregame show in the middle of the week, alluding to what they need to do to beat the upcoming opponent. So I think most of our time was deliberating how Tao Loggins was using the wide receiver personnel and the positional uh, value of the slot wide receiver and how important it was. And I felt like the, the evidence for our case was Cameron Meredith and, and Jordan Howard completely not being a factor when the season was starting, even though you saw that they were superior talent in the preseason, they weren't given a shot until injuries, mind you, injuries catapulted them into the starting lineup. The same case for us, and I know myself, I'm not afraid to put myself on the line, yes, you all know I love Daniel Braverman as a person, but the football player brought me to the person. The The route running that that young man did at Western Michigan is on tape, and it doesn't go away. With the philosophy of a new system, it doesn't disappear or dissipate. He played with an injury. He played through it, tried to get out there, didn't get a, a, a fair shot. I can say that with total and complete truth behind me. He was not awarded a great shot. And, and proof of that is, Lauren, and I'm going off a little bit of topic and a little rant, but I deserve it here. That never happened. Detroit, Detroit Lions game. I think it was four, uh, third and 20. Okay. Big play in the game. You're down four points. I could put it up this week. I will put it up this week on Twitter and tag Bears Hour Live. Daniel Braverman comes in the game at slot, finally getting an opportunity after not playing the whole game. Goes in there, runs a freak great route, beats the corner, jukes the safety, gets 21 yards and a first down. Wait a second. There's a flag on the field. Play is called back. There's a illegal hands to the face on Offensive lineman, I can't remember if it was Leno or Cush or somebody. Play gets called back. Guess who's not in the, the game the next play? I mean, here's a guy just juked the route, caught the pass on a jerk route, completely turned around the safety, high-pointed it, got a first down. Would have been the biggest play because now you're in field goal range. Actually, you were down two at the time. So you're in field goal range to possibly win or we could have been down three. It was either two or three point swing. Was the play of the game right there, brought back on a flag. And those types of things go unnoticed because the flag happened. Had it not been a flag, I think you remember the play better. I don't forget it because I know the fans base saying he can't do it. He can't do it. Well, he's beaten first round picks. He's beaten Apple, Eli Apple. He beat the heck out of your boy there, Lattimore, all on the same tape. There's there's nothing to hide. So you have that kind of talent all throughout the preseason, dominating your defense, dominating New England, can't cover them, and not get an opportunity. That sounds like Jordan Howard. That sounds like Cameron Meredith. That is the issue that I have with Dow Loggins. Not being strong enough, not being uh, hard enough to say I'm going to play guys that are going to make us the best to win. Throwing Kevin White out there and forcing a guy that doesn't know the playbook, frustrating Jay Cutler because he doesn't know it, and you're force feeding him passes. You know that's not the way you win football, and ultimately that's not how you win over a locker room either. So I'm not remiss in saying that I think Daniel Braverman, if given an opportunity, can be a real stalwart at the slot position. The, the funny thing about that too, I don't want to, I don't want to hang on this too long. But uh, you know, he he makes that play in Detroit, and then next week against Green Bay, he gets one snap, and then doesn't get a snap in week sixteen or seventeen. Doesn't doesn't really he plays one more snap after that game for the rest of the year. Well, 
you know, Deontay Thompson starts at outside receiver, and, you know, Alshon Jeffrey keeps going out there, and Meredith's still out there, and even Josh Bellamy getting snaps out there, but Daniel Braverman in, in a, th- when they were 3-11, and 3-12, and 12, and then 3-13, and 13, <laughs> couldn't get snaps out on the field. It's, it's unbelievable, and you look back, it's something that Dowell Loggins hopefully can cure. Whatever pride or whatever thinking he has or fear of a veteran or a lot, you got to be the offensive coordinator. You play who's going to give you the best chance to win. Unfortunately, I don't think they did that last year. And, and you could say all you want that I'm Homer to to Braverman. It has really nothing to do with that, just like my Kyle Long stance, Lauren. It has to do with the countless hours of tape study and the belief in what you see. And until you're given the opportunity to do it, and you were, just like Lauren completely crafted for you, what brought about the disconcerting uh, amount of snaps later on? The fact that he made the play and then didn't get another shot? I mean, to me, this is a big year for Daniel. This is a big signing for Daniel because, you know, Victor Cruz is an established guy. He, He could... He's really excellent in the slot, but I don't think Braverman's going to back down from the competition. And what better way than to have two guys that could do it for you on both sides of the football field? I mean, that's what you want on your football team. And I've been calling for it for how long, Lauren, about the value of the slot and getting guys that are going to do it. I mean, Mark Biriani came in here and was productive at the slot position. You got athletes that can run 4 3 nine four fours that are going to be able to get in and out of breaks and make plays for you look no further than my backyard in new england to showcase what an amandola and what a julian edelman could do for an offense on a shallow cross and just get 15 16 yards at a clip and threaten those linebackers that they got to pull out of there and open up the running game for jordan howard those types of things can't go unnoticed when you're talking about the slot position. Yeah, and we're starting to run out of time here on our show. We're down to, I think, the last couple minutes. And I wanted to, I wanted to get to Kyle Long because after last week's show, we wrapped up about you know three o'clock ish Central Time, and then about five o'clock ish Central Time, Brad Biggs of the Tribune reported that the Bears are planning on moving at least trying Kyle Long out at left guard and moving Josh Sitton to right guard, having the two of them flop positions. So I'm sure as soon as we get off the air here, there will be some other breaking news on the Chicago <laughs> Bears. So hopefully uh, be on the lookout for that from the Chicago Tribune. I'm sure Brad is just waiting for us to finish before he drops his article. But re- real quick, Phil, I guess one one answer on why are the Bears moving Kyle Long to left guard and Josh Sitton to right guard? And then we'll wrap up. I honestly, we talked about it. Um, before, and I think it's much like my history with the Bears. They do things that ask backwards and one move away from greatness. You know, I think they're probably hedging to put him at left tackle to ultimately recognize, I think, uh, Leno's on the last year of his deal. And really, you put him on the left side to acclimate him to that side. He is left-handed, by the way. So it makes a lot of sense. You put your more athletic guy and your more stout guy because you like to run right on the right side. And if uh, Sitton is a more uh, obese, we'll say, rotund offensive <laughs> lineman on the right side, you can get some movement out of there with him and uh, – um, What's his name? Bobby Massey. Thank you. On the right side. And then you get a more athletic guy on the left side to go along with Charles Leno. But ultimately, it it could be a two for one with the understanding that this young offensive line coach coming in here recognizes what I've been recognizing all along, that Kyle Long is a left tackle. And it's just one step more from promoting him to that position and ultimately getting your offensive line what did we talk about i mean your numbers in above themselves in a quick jaunt because fans we did not plan on talking about the stability and health of the quarterback position but i think it's a a very very uh highlighter of what it is that you're dealing with in chicago and why there hasn't been playoff football because you can't keep them upright 
and the offensive tackle position has been a, a name of name game family feud or whatever where people would lose because there's been so many guys from Frank O'Neill to Jamarcus Webb on down that have protected the blind side of your quarterback and really have not done a great job since Jimbo Covert. And that is an issue, my friends. That is part of the reason why the quarterback play has been so poor in Chicago. I think the best offensive tackle I've seen in Chicago was in Grossman's time, Lauren, and that was John Tate, who was a right tackle with the Chiefs. And came over to Chicago, moving the left tackle, where he was. He played some solid football there, but it's not like they haven't tried. But they've really not done it in the first round, high in the first round, getting that high-end talent in there. So I think Kyle Long going to left guard is twofold: uh, one, using his athleticism, and two, prepping him to play offensive tackle on the left side. And I think we both agree that. They should probably just put him straight to left tackle right away <laughs> and have Charles Leno compete on the right side with Bobby Massey. There's not necessarily a, a giant need to give him the intermediate step. And maybe, I don't know, maybe they, they know, I mean, obviously they know Kyle Long better than we do. And maybe they feel like if they want to move him to left tackle long term that they need to move him to left guard so he can at least, like, maybe they don't feel like he can handle the the position and hand side swap at the same time and they think he needs to do the one step or maybe they don't even plan on moving him to left tackle at all, and, and Jeremiah Washburn, the offensive line coach, just really feels like his athleticism is better on that left side, although I don't necessarily feel like, especially in the modern NFL, there's not as much of a difference in terms of left and right as far as wanting a more of a mauler on the right and more of an athletic guy on the left. I think a lot of teams are really good at sort of trying to do everything on both sides. It's not as though they, they, you know, they intentionally try to run more to the right because obviously if you do that, you're going to be more predictable and teams are going to pick up on that, so you're going to have to run left anyway. And it's not it's generally not that huge of a difference, in my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but I, I, I don't feel like nowadays it's as big of a deal. I think there's some of that, but I don't think it's, the, it's something that's necessarily worth displacing both sitting and long unless you've got bigger plans in the future one more thing quick lauren because you brought out you kind of rung a bell in my head um kyle long is left-handed okay so you're watching and me and you watch a lot of tape kyle long is not as polished as people think he is in regards to his play ultimately at the guard position there's a lot of errors there's things you like but there's some real breakdowns that he does have inside in thinking, not knowing his assignment and his ability to get lost in a battle, meaning he gets so focused on beating the crap out of the opponent in front of him. He forgets to get to the second level and continue on to his assignment. But if you're looking at to get the most out of a football player, then you put him in his comfort zone. And if you're left-handed football player, then you have a lot more comfort and you can ultimately work to get the best technique, the best understanding, and the best comfort out of a football player. So Washburn could be watching the tape, recognizing that this isn't a, as comfortable football player as he should be, whereas Sitton is more comfortable in playing any, either side. You put Kyle Long, who has a tendency to lose certain techniques that you don't like in the run game and in pass pro, that this will ultimately uh, juice out the best qualities of Kyle Long. So that's where I could see that they're watching the tape and recognizing this left-handed guy would best serve playing on the left side. And that also brings up concerns for me because he's he's suffering that or he's still dealing with that left shoulder injury that I think is a couple of years old now that he he didn't get surgery on it this year and he said he's just going to play with it and that's that's in his left shoulder which obviously. If if it were going to be that big of a deal, they would they would, I would hope that they would have him get surgery and get that cleaned up 100%. But at least uh, there's going to be more. Uh, I'm just worried there's going to be more stress on that left shoulder. He's going to have more pain to play through, and I hope that doesn't affect his play. But that's going to have to do it for us here at Bears Hour Live. Be on the lookout this week. We're going to be doing a film room. Phil talked about it earlier on uh, undrafted free agent defensive lineman Rashad Coward out of Old Dominion. And then we're also going to start getting towards uh, – 
Jay Howard on the defensive line, the free agent addition, and we might get into a little bit. I think Phil, you mentioned Roy Robertson, Harris, and maybe some Cravon LeBlanc because I've been re-falling in love with him, watching some of his tapes. So our film room series is going to keep up this offseason, and and we'll be bringing you Coward and Howard next. So be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and catch up on all of those. And of course, if you're listening to the podcast, be sure to subscribe on iTunes and and give us that five star review because that's that's sort of the currency of podcasts nowadays. This is the so those iTunes reviews. So we'd really appreciate your help in in moving up the rankings a little bit and uh, getting some more Bears fans to tune into the show. So with that, I would like to thank everyone for listening to this edition of Bears Hour Live. Come on.